Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of Saddest Night Out. My name is Roy, and I'm the host of this daily podcast about life and love in London. Today's episode is a rather long one, so I'll keep this introduction brief. I am talking to two friends, Nick Hurd and Jim Woodall, and we have a few things in common. We all live in London, we all are very interested in some sort of creative pursuit, and we all have podcasts. So in this conversation, we discuss those similarities and the differences in what has brought us to where we are today. I'll see you at the end with a little bit of music, but otherwise, enjoy this conversation. Yeah, now you're free. We are live. Okay, this is episode, I don't even know which episode this is, of Saddest Night Out, and I am here with two guests, Jim and Nick. Say What's hi. up? Thank you. <laughs> All right, so... It's kind of a loose topic on this episode, but we'll start with the notion of creativity because we are all creatives, however you might feel about that term, mm. but in very different fields. So I primarily make music. Jim, what would you say your field is primarily? I, I guess I'm a writer. I write a web fiction uh, about gay detectives in the 1920s and 30s. But Which I, you also can totally read online and you should. It's the, the, pic, the Piccadilly Detectives.com, plug, plug. Um, like, comment, subscribe. On, find his Patreon. Smash that like button. Smash it. Is that right? Do you actually have be, a Patreon? I do, but nobody goes there. Give him money, it's uh, great. But, yeah, I also but I also write like uh, I've written comics, I've written screenplays for TV shows. Like I write a little bit of everything. Mm. Okay, and Nick, what would you say your pursuits are? Um, I'm much more sort of eclectic in terms of my pursuits. Uh, the usual what I do is I do painting, uh, animation. Um, I've done comics in the past, but sequential art is such a massive. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, it's, it's oh, good. such a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> um, uh, make films. Um, I do podcast. Um, what am I? Is that everything? Oh, yeah, I write as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also. I've, I've written a book, and I'm trying to not got published nothing. Just you know, for fun. Mm. Um, but I like to try and write. I'm a good editor too. I think that's yeah, probably that's, my I mean, core strength. Really. Yeah. Most Telling of, other people what's wrong with their ideas is probably most of, most of my stuff goes through Nick first. He's a very valuable resource to have in your house. I'm the finest <laughs> sieve that you can imagine. Wow, that's a much more illustrious and impressive list than what I have. <laughs> There's a lot of embellishment there. That's great already. So my thinking is that when it comes to the early stages of learning a craft, it's almost like the early stages of a hero's journey. There is the, the burst of, I guess, inspiration when you hear or see or come across something that makes you go, oh, that seems really cool. Then I imagine once you make your first attempts, they suck, and but you start to just essentially copy the thing that you like. Then you start to develop your own sort of voice, and then if you really enjoy it, you continue, and hopefully you turn into something that other people become inspired by. Mm. So going right back to the start, let's go with you, Nick. All right. What was the first thing amongst your many different... Yeah, <laughs> among all those disciplines? Um, yeah. So I, I guess the thing I would always cop to being most of all would probably be being an artist, like in visual arts terms, mm -hmm. um, which I consider animation sort of a subset of that because that's where I've been pushing myself creative, creatively like recently. Mm -hmm. um, I've been drawing basically as long as I have been alive and able to hold a pencil. Um, I've got actually in the next room. I have a old folder of drawings that I've done. It's literally about like yeah, this doesn't translate away for radio, but it's like about like eight or nine inches thick, and it's full of drawings that I did over the course of like from being like age five to like about age nineteen, wow. and it's just like a whole bunch of stuff, including like old comic books that I drew, um, all kinds of like crazy things like that. So I've always been drawing. Um, with regards to like trying to actively ape another style I'm very I can look back over different things and like see oh this is when I was being heavily influenced heavily influenced by like anime and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and sort of looking at more East Asian stuff as I've grown older and become more aware of how influences affect my work I've sort of been trying to experiment and push myself into different directions of exploring things that I think are either weaknesses or growing edges to my style or things that I think I'm trying to move away less from representational art into more sort of abstract stuff I've been experimenting a lot with neon and like color and stuff like that because I traditionally used to work in black and white because fun fact about uh creating any artwork coloring things god that can take forever and it's boring <laughs> and it sucks and line art is more fun and dynamic uh -huh. um but yeah it's um and then from there I kind of gravitated into animation just because I liked all them fun Chinese cartoons that everyone's all like oh boy the Goku's and I thought I could, <laughs> I could make one or two of those. So I started messing around with like stuff first. It was, um, I literally was just draw, drawing things and string, stringing them together in Windows Movie Maker. Um, and then eventually I got my hands on a copy of Flash and 
I've been kind of playing around with that a lot recently, and I've also just started doing stuff with Post-its and Biro because I've discovered I could get a GIF-making app on my phone. So oh. you you just I just draw like eight or nine drawings of a simple animation, then I just take all the pictures and it strings them together, and you can adjust frame rate and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just sort of trying to keep myself sharp and improve my very shoddy draftsmanship. Okay. Um, so I guess the question was more like, where did it, I come in? It's like there wasn't really a start point for me. Like I know that I've been doing art in some capacity for as long as I can remember. But yeah. yeah, so if he's saying like you've got a collection from, was it four years old from you started? Yeah, about four years old, I think is the oldest stuff in there. So I imagine that wasn't a case of you saw something and thought, oh, that looks cool, let me try and do that. It was just... It can, well, some of it, you look at it, because I, I used to read like old DC comic books and like really old Marvel when I was little. And like, you know, my mum used to just say, here's a comic book, shut up. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and you can see a lot of things that like is drawing upon like the comics I was reading or the video games, that like the very limited video games that were around at that time. You know, there's a lot of stuff with sort of, you know, conventional superheroes. There's a lot of stuff based around Terminator, funnily enough. And I was just like, I've heard of Terminator. I understand it's a robot guy. I'll just draw a comic book version of that where he, like, stops a bank robbery and gets reduced to a skeleton because that's awesome. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, but yeah, it's it's always been something that I've processed my interests through rather than has been something that has been brought to me by a set interest, if you follow me. There wasn't, like, a drawing or a comic or something that made me draw. It's like, I always drew, but then I just um, processed my feelings about things through that. Okay, see, for me, that it does feel like it's perhaps a more specific point, because I lived in, like, the suburbs of East London when mm-hmm. I was up until about 14 years old. So I would put together, like, mixtapes, like, cassettes, like, the actual mixtapes, not what mixtapes mean now. Yeah, yeah, mixtapes. You, you have to use a pencil and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of, of songs that I liked on the radio and stuff like that. So I had a passing interest in music, but I imagine not too more advanced than most people at a young age where you just like whatever you come across mm. and you're more drawn to like, pop songs. I moved to Devon when I was about 14, 15. Mm. Everyone there played guitar, everyone was skating, surf, uh, surfboard and that kind of thing. And I was at a very impressionable age. It was very much, I liked what everyone else seemed to like. So there was a lot of nodding along when Metallica's mentioned, like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> great, yeah, big fan, love it. And the Sandman, oh, what a cool. <laughs> oh, oh boy. But uh, at the time, other popular musicians were like Stereophonics and Feeder. And I fell into that trap of like, that's real music, indie rock, like... I don't think I've ever had someone say in like, the outreach terms Feeder, that's real music <laughs> Exactly, like, exactly in Devon, like, Folks, I was young, I was naive <laughs> how, how many times, because I went to university in Devon How many times did you go to a night out And they played um, Feeder's Just a Day And when they have like it? Get a house in Devon <laughs> And everyone goes <laughs> fucking crazy And it's like, no, I know we're here But Guys, <laughs> I know that's where we are now. We can drink cider from 11. So you're rolling along through like the kind yes. of like feeder days. And then I had one friend in particular who said, because I was still very down on indie rock, and he said, no, no, check out this band Block Party. They've got a couple of songs mm. by Keaton Glass, Helicopter Banquet. And this was back in the days of like, I used Bear Share as my download. I didn't quite use Napster. <laughs> and I didn't download albums. I downloaded odd songs. So I downloaded literally the songs he mentioned, and I thought, this is it. Every- Nothing else matters. This is where it's all at now. And there are a lot of bands like uh, Block Party, We Are Scientists, Kings of Leon. Yep. Eventually, the Strokes were kind of the epitome of all that for me, because they just looked really cool. And that made me want to be in a band. I'd done stuff with a band before, because a friend of mine did GCC Music, mm-hmm. and part of the course was you had to do a cover of a song, so we did Run by Snow Patrol. So just just to, just for my edification, so at this point you're playing guitar, or have you like are you what, what instruments are you playing with, and how are you interacting with the music? I'm not playing anything at this point. I'm oh. just a fan. I uh, this guy did a GCC music thing, and I got drafted to be the singer. Oh, I and see. And then right, we right. just kept doing covers after that. That was heavy into the feeder kind of phase. Mm. So I started singing that, and then my sister got like a guitar from Argos for Christmas many years ago, acoustic guitar. No one had used it, so I dug that out and started learning. Oasis, as we all do. <laughs> yeah. You gotta get out Wonderwall early. Oh, right? yeah, of course. <laughs> get out of the way. Yeah, we've visited Cardiff, and like every single busker there was playing Wonderwall, and yeah. it's like none of you deserve my money. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like uh, like one of the I my friend had a computer, and we'd go to like Ultimate Guitar Tabs or something and learn chords. At the start, I couldn't strum up without almost breaking the strings from the body <laughs> of the guitar. So that's when I first started playing guitar. When I started hearing these actual indie rock bands. Mm. 
a lot of it sounded like one guitar would play a riff and the bass would play the different chords. Yeah. And one of the guitarists in our band had a loop pedal, had a loop function in his guitar pedal. So I got the exact same pedal, which I still use now, and started doing that. So I'd play like one little riff and then loop it and then play something underneath and be like, it started off, I would sing other people's lyrics for their songs. Mm-hmm. Then I'd start to write my own lyrics. Then I'd come up with songs myself, maybe a set list. And it's like, right, I've got EP1, I've got first album, second album, third album. I've got it all figured out, guys. I've got a whole career right here. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, no one else felt the exact same way as me. <laughs> and when it came to about university time, everyone kind of went their separate ways. And for the most part, they left making music behind. But nothing interested me as much as making my own music did. Mm. But I had, and still have to agree, it's a supreme lack of self-confidence. So I just felt like, I'd love to do that, but I couldn't do that, obviously. But I just kept kind of stockpiling ideas and music the entire time up to now. When I finally decided, no, if I want to do something with this, it's up to you to do it. So that's when I started trying to... This is is why I said at the start that your lists are much more illustrious than mine. Because it sounds like you guys cottoned onto what your interests were. And have made that something of a focus of what you do going forward. Whereas mine is sort of a in my back pocket, like, I guess at some point I'll do it. And only now I'm like, no, let me actually try. Well, as, a, as a neat segue, I mean, I feel like both of us are sort of coming at this from a position of lower level of investment than what Jim has put in. Because this man full on has quit his entire job twice to All pursue right. his written word craft. Yes, let me ask Jim, please. I'm still, like, not... No one's throwing money at me for the ideas in my brain. <laughs> I don't understand it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to get there. Well, I mean, yeah, so I guess if we're going to go through my history, um, I guess, I mean, as I think I started off in a ice cream. It's fine. Leave the, let the ice cream people do it. They're just bringing all the boys okay. to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's milkshake. Oh, um, yeah. oh sorry. Anyway, um, so... So I guess I, I probably started out as mm-hmm. a child. Uh, <laughs> as most people do. And <laughs> in the same way that Nick did, that I was sort of interested in lots of creative things. You know, I drew a lot. I, I, did, I did write, I suppose, but I was never, my handwriting was never very good because like, it was all with a pen then and I, couldn't, I, didn't, I don't hold a pen properly, apparently. So okay. I didn't actually enjoy the act of writing Dude, very I'm much. left-handed. I hold it like a clawed monster. I'm like this. <laughs> I get all the ink on the side of my hands. I'm just like, it's not going to work. Um... But yeah, but my I think one of my um, one of my biggest memories of school was I really enjoyed drama, uh, and that's because I I remember having a very good teacher who would just basically give us um, like a theme or a germ of an idea, and then me and a few friends who were all well, we all thought we were really funny, but we were just like stealing jokes we heard on television. Um, it but, sounds so familiar, <laughs> so, so very familiar. And yeah, we, but we would do scenes, and and I mean that was like you know I. Was, I know, in in all sort of areas of school, like uh, that's the thing. I did that like, was definitely like one of the more nerdy kids, and that I was quote unquote good at school. But you know, do you know how everyone's all, on television? Intelligence is always measured in maths. You know how like when you see a uh, a character has suddenly been given smart juice, and they just ask a really obs- insane maths question, and they can answer it in seconds, yeah. and mm. they are smart. I'm no good. Well, <laughs> I'm slow at mental arithmetic. And he whereas... does the rent for our house. So I, just wanna... <laughs> I can do, I can do spreadsheets, <laughs> but I'm slow at mental arithmetic. And yet most of my friends who were really good at mental arithmetic so I had this impression that I was stupid um, or at least relative to them mm-hmm. uh, but then in drama there was this one thing where it's like well not only do I feel that I'm good at this but also people like me for it because I'm they like our sketches are always they always elicit laughs and even though it's all stolen bits um, and so for a while I thought I wanted to be an actor um, but it was only when I you know I think studying drama in college and so on that it made me sort of realize that oh no what I what I enjoy about this is not the performance I scream <laughs> um, but it's um, telling stories I sort of realized that all these different artistic pursuits I did were to, uh, ideas for stories I'm always I was always coming up with like ideas for books or ideas for shows or or characters and what have you um, and I, and I had written stuff I remember the first thing I ever like booted up word perfect on my dad's oh, old word computer um, oh that's deep cut and i wrote and i got me. and i wrote my first story which i still remember what it was about it was about a magic hoverboard 
The, which no, no, oh, no. Yeah. That's, that's too. <laughs> How dare you, boy? No, that, that that makes no sense because it's like oh, a hoverboard that is amazing because of the science, but also it, it's more amazing because it's also magic. Did it, did it, and then did it talk? No, I had to contrive like when what what makes this magic hoverboard magic other than it hovering? And the answer was that that like if you fell off it, it would fly down, and it was actually a flying hoverboard, like it was a flying board. It didn't hover, and and in this and that, I had to contrive. Drive this whole reason that like the hoverboard like if you fall off a hoverboard whilst flying you just die but this hoverboard would catch you and that's why it was magic um, so oh, continu- that- continuing your artistic development <laughs> to drag you away from flying hoverboards <laughs> but yeah I've, I've always just I've but then yeah I got into this basic phase of starting lots of books and they're always way too ambitious they were like oh yeah this is the first in a nine book series and this is going to be the next Harry Potter Um, and never seven books never finishing anything and then I but then eventually I did I was surprised myself by finishing like one which was the first of a series so the story wasn't finished but I was like reached the like oh I have a whole book and then I never did any more with that because it was terrible um but and definitely went through this phase of aping Terry Pratchett, uh, putting lots of footnotes on things, trying to be whimsical, uh, because that's what I enjoyed at the time. Mm. Um, but then from that, yeah, like I mean, you you mentioned the phrase of like finding your own voice. I think in writing, that's that's really where that's sort of the truest sense where it's like, oh, you did, there's a literal way you approach describing yeah. things. Um, and then, yeah, and then getting to a phase where I just like realizing, oh, this is the type of thing that I like writing. I like writing about things in this way. Also realizing like different like writing ticks. Like I know that I'm very fond of describing things by making lists. Like, oh, this place was really beautiful. There was this and this and this and this, and there was this thing. And this is all the things. And then it's useful sometimes, but like, don't do it too much. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then just reading a lot, and then trying to to refine what I'm doing, um, and getting then then it becomes more about sort of like st- structural things. And oh yeah, that, there was this <laughs> book that I've written and rewritten and rewritten, and then first time giving the draft which I'd finished and was about to send off to literary agents and I was so happy with it and it's like yeah best book ever it's going to be the new Harry Potter oh, oh no. Nick would you mind giving me some feedback oh my spirit has been crushed and then I'm just like I'm like well okay let me just uh, roll up my sleeves here and begin my autopsy but still but this this turned out to be a very useful thing because mm-hmm. A, a it, it helps that a, Nick is very good at feedback is also one very irritating thing about Nick is that um, like Neil Gaiman has this quote where it says that if someone reads your work and says that something is wrong they're almost always right however if they tell you how to fix it they're almost always wrong mm. Nick also knows how to fix it which is not funny. always I, not I, always no it, I mean this is this comes uh, more to what um, a thing that I said downstairs pre-show is that as I've kind of been like developing my own craft like not just with like the art stuff but also with the filmmaking and the writing mm-hmm. um, a lot of my um, ideas that I want to explore are less about like yeah, I mean, it's hard to do with drawing because drawing is like you're just creating a visual thing. You know, yeah. there's less of like a narrative-based thing, or you could. It's more difficult <clears> to interrogate an idea in real depth. Or oh, I can hear visual artists just going, "Um, excuse me, <laughs> um, I'll have you know that it's very possible. Right, it is possible, but I a lot, especially with my films. I think filmmaking is where the area that I'm sort of really starting to push into wanting to explore. Kind of in a similar way to what the podcast we're doing now is about. Sort of the why of it. Yeah. Because it, it it's very clear to me, you know, especially now more than ever, I think, is that most people that I know, and this may just be because I move in very creative circles, mm-hmm. have a thing that they're doing and they need that. Like, Jim needs to write. Like, I dread to think what would happen if you were prevented from being able to write things. I would go mad. It, probably, <laughs> yes. And it's like, in the same way, I imagine, like, as yeah. you said, you couldn't let go of the music, even though what everyone else was like, ah, gonna go off and be an economist or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get the, that line, yes. <laughs> like you were there. Be an economist or something. <laughs> yeah. When are you gonna grow up, Ryan? Jesus. Um, but it's in the same way. It's like, I need to draw or at least feel that I'm moving forward on a creative project. It's mm-hmm. very tied in with like my experience of being a person mm-hmm. is that I take it as read that just like you know I go to work I do my job whatever blah 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 I earn the money I see people I have fun and everything like that and, you know I maintain a healthy social life but the thing that I really find myself caring about a lot not that I don't care about the people that I see but it's the stuff that I'm making is where I really get to burrow down into ideas in a way that's very very personal to me 
and allows me to explore both aspects of the world around me and sort of aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's like that kind of, you know, in the same way, like, you know, Jim is doing the very daring thing. I mean, I, I've always been very, very cagey around the idea of like monetizing or, you know, trying to make my art my job yeah. because my fear, you know, obviously one, I don't think I'd be able to do it with my fairly limited skill sets apart from in very niche areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but also if I was to do that for money, then I would find it strange having to not only bend my art to what I think will be commercially viable, but also what would I then think of as my downtime? Because it's like I can sit on the bus on my way to work and I'm just like, oh, I'll get out my phone and I'll do some writing on the book because I have it online. Or like I'm, you know, again, or I'm bored at home and I'm just like, oh, I'll just get my tablet out and like work on an animation, do some cleaning on some frames or something. And it's therapeutic and I'll listen to a podcast and sort of that is part of like my routine. Mm. Whereas if my job was to, you know, let's say if I got a job in an animation studio, I'd be like, well, into work to clean some frames. I'd be like, I enjoy my job, but also now I don't want to do this. And now I'm sort of like, now what do I do? Which I guess would mean <laughs> the thing would be diversify. I mean, question for you, Jim, yeah. if I may. Um, we've discussed your work at some length over the years. Um, do you ever feel pressure to back down from an idea that you like because you think it's not necessarily viable? Um, uh, I can imagine that might happen. It has never happened. Mm. I normally, okay, because I normally, uh, I approach something that is way too ambitious anyway. Um, the, uh, I've never backed down from an idea. Generally, I have, if, if, if I'm in a situation where it's like, oh, this, this isn't working, or I don't think I can do this, uh, I'll... No, I just do it anyway. Um, I, that's the thing. <laughs> and I, then you I, refine I, through I, that yeah. to try and um, it's because what the dynamic you share, where particularly that you would, Jim, you'd create mm. something, and Nikki sometimes work as an editor and mm. a very good one at that. I <laughs> <laughs> in Jim's you're work, too kind. In Jim's work anyway, it's very, very useful, especially because he reads so fucking quickly. Yeah, that that's an important aspect in creativity, and it's one that I don't really have. I, I oh. when it comes to music, there's something. This idea of like quote unquote, that's something in my pocket dropping, don't worry about that. Quote unquote punk about kind of doing your own thing and if it flies in the face of what should in theory work, mm. then so be it. Like that just that's almost earning your stripes that you'd be more keen to pursue something. I'm, I'm reminded of a, I'm reminded of a quote that Donald Glover said that he was like he said that uh, with his career as Charles Gambino he was like I've always tried to be punk in my music yeah. and he's, he was he quoted Redbone he's like that's a gospel song he's like I got I got a gospel song into the top forty I think that's a pretty punk move exactly because yeah. no one's really expecting it yes that's part of what I want to do with mine I imagine that became part of the excuse for why I procrastinate so much because. You make something. Oh, so share it, people. Yeah, but they wouldn't get it. I'm doing this very particular thing. Mm. And I'm not looking for feedback. I'm like, no, you should do this instead. That like, I have my vision and I'm going to go with it. But then I would get fearful that I cannot present my vision in the perfectly finished form that I want to. Right, yeah, So yeah, I yeah. forever put off sharing it with anyone yeah. because it's not quite what I want. You, you've, you've, I, I feel like the, the best advice that... I think this is the thing I literally said to you this morning, Jim, in another context was... Um, you have to be a lot less precious about yeah. things. Oh, no, I was... Not Jim. My own sister, <coughs> who I was seeing over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know if she should be offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> You're both lovely people. Um, she was talking about that she kind of wanted to get into painting, but she's found it a bit challenging. And when she's done painting, she's like, oh, it's not very good. And I was like... I said to her that one of the things that I found over my development of my artistic pursuits is that um, you start out thinking, I've got this picture in my brain mm. and I'm going to translate it perfectly onto the page and it'll be the greatest thing and if I don't do it right it means I've done it wrong yeah. and therefore it's a failure and I feel bad Yeah. and the the thing I imagine like you say you have the similar thing with the music you have the sound in your head and you're trying to communicate exactly it right. out, and then you record it with what it means you have you play it back that's not what I had no, no yeah. you can hear it yeah, 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 yeah. but what I've found is that if you think of it less as like the reproduction of something in yourself mm-hmm. I always try and view the process of making the art as part of processing of the art of itself because it's like as Bob Ross love Bob Ross, Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Bob Ross um, there are no mistakes there are only happy accidents and it's like when you're drawing especially or like working with paint or working with materials that smudge or whatever you're going to inevitably do a line that's incorrect and like with digital work I'm trying to get less reliant on the erase tool 
Oh, sorry, on the undo function, where you just hard undo what you just did. Yeah. Where I'm rather trying to work with it like it's a conventional material, because then I have to incorporate both my mistakes, or rather the, the things that I didn't fully plan for. And that can fundamentally change like the nature of a piece. It can change how you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to show stuff to people and be like, hey, I bashed this out in like five minutes or whatever. Or like you can be as devil may care and be like, oh yeah, this thing I've slaved on for a week. I did it in like two days, what? You know, <laughs> and like sort of underplaying it. And then putting it out there, you get both people surprising you by what they pick up on, mm-hmm. but also things that they notice that you might have like thought were completely inconsequential to it. Mm. So I would always definitely advocate for sharing your work as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, there's an experience that I've recently had and that there was, I mean, there, there came a point when working on my book after, I mean, after reading your reaction to the first draft and you're just like, oh, Nick has had the complete opposite reaction to what I wanted. <laughs> he I really came, hated his lead character. Yeah. Really oh, I really him. liked my lead character. Man. He was a total prick. But then I did, I did I, but then I, yeah, but then through that I found that I was like, oh, it's not really the character that's wrong, it's the way he's presented. Framing. I, yeah, so if I present him this way and show these qualities of him, which were there, but show them, for, like, because he... He is a flawed character, and that's part of what I like about him. But say, so, oh, show like, despite his flaws, he is still this. Mm-hmm. And then that, even even though the like subsequent events didn't change as much as the opening, the way he's introduced, that completely changed like Nick's reading. Mm. Uh, and so then I reached this stage where it's like, oh, now I feel as if I'm in control of how the reader is responding to what I've written. I know what each line is is doing and what is inspiring them to think. Um, and then I thought, oh, okay, that's, I have achieved, like, I've, I've, I've put a level in yeah, writing. Exactly. Um, and then, annoyingly, or sort of interestingly, um, now I'm working on these detective stories, uh, and, you know, I've put the first one out there, and I'm listening to all these different reactions. And, of course, my big fear is with, with the detective story is that the mystery is obvious. I always think it's obvious, because, of course, I know where all the clues are. Yeah. And I know exactly what they're saying. I know and, exactly and how they're going to be communicated. And you do love mysteries and read a lot yeah, of mysteries. I read a lot of mysteries, and there's some, some of my, and my, my absolute favourite mysteries are the ones that absolutely fool me. Um, which... Um, I think if uh, if you have sort of any familiarity with how narratives work, it can be very easy to work out where this is going. Uh, so, uh, so a mystery that really does that, that can really fool you, I have a lot of respect for, and that's what I am, you know, yeah. aspiring for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, look. So when I finished my first one, I was like, oh, okay. Well, this they might figure out, but hopefully they won't connect it with this. And so, if I present this information here, very far apart from this piece of information with which it connects to, hopefully they won't remember. And and so yeah, so I feel so I felt like I had a handle on what the response was probably going to be. And yet, what I found was different people who read it and responded to it worked out some things that I thought were were like really obscure, and yet those same people might not have worked out something that I thought was really obvious. And everyone had a different reaction, which was kind of frightening because that was, I thought like, oh, I, I've, I've created this book where it's, it's, you know, where people are supposed to have this one single reaction. This is yeah. what they're supposed to be thinking. And even though it, it technically worked for all of these people, it was just a kind of distressing that, oh God, I have no control over any <laughs> of them. Like this Roland Barthes, like death of the author and all that. It's yeah. Like, you can try and, uh, have an intention with a piece of artwork or a piece of work or a piece of music or whatever as much as you want mm-hmm. but ultimately you can't control the way that people are going to react to that particular piece you can play upon larger scale ideologies you know you can look at philosophies you can look at religions you can look at um racial backgrounds political backgrounds class backgrounds whatever and try and predict if i approach these topics in this way i am evoking from this set of shared signifiers that we as a civilization have mm-hmm. however there's still going to be wild variation in there yeah, yeah and just be all like oh boy ah this this did not work at all yeah yeah so going back to a particular point because this mm. kind of dovetails nicely into another thing we all have in common we all make podcasts yeah now you seem to have each other and a much healthier just in general the dynamic of <clears throat> pardon me creating something getting feedback refining it and getting closer to achieving the ambition you have in your mind. Yeah. Or, or fundamentally changing that ambition. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the case. Like with my book, for example, like I wrote the book and I realized I like this book. It's not the book I was aiming to write. It's not the book I want to write anymore. 
Oh, so, like plans always change. Oh, so, yeah. Whenever I approach writing something new, I was like, "I'll oh, plan a bit, decide what the ending is going to be, because then you know what you're going to shoot for, and then start before you're ready, because by the process of writing it, you'll realize what it is." Oh yeah, learn by doing, like such a. And that yeah, because for me, like coming overcoming that biggest hurdle of mine of just. No, the thing that I like doing in private should become the thing that I do full stop because then... The confidence thing. Yes, yeah, the, the yeah, confidence course, thing. Yeah. Uh, I would, so I, start, I, I also quit my job and decided to make music the focus of everything that I do. Mm. So I started by going to open mic nights and I'd go to small... Like just My first open mic night, I have a lot of songs I haven't finished, like melodies in my head. And I thought if I have a deadline of when I'm going to perform this now I really have to finish it yeah so I went to this open mic night and had the lyrics written on that day's evening standard and I performed it a cappella. yeah because I kept thinking oh, I had to like write the perfect thing then I can perform it and then I kept thinking oh, I have to get the perfect acoustic guitar back in track and then I can perform it so I thought nope I'm just gonna go and I better finish something by the time I get there because yep. I'm gonna get there I've got a slot <laughs> exactly. gotta get up there and do something so I had some lyrics in the newspaper and I sang a cappella, and it was the scariest thing ever but also I was thinking you are stopping. You're putting up these roadblocks because you fear what might be the worst case scenario. Mm. So do the worst case scenario. Yeah. Realize the world doesn't end. Yeah. And then the only way is up from that. And as we're talking about how plans can change in the process of doing, I go to Mike Knights. Eventually, my guy who runs them, who was in my previous episode, Romeo Crow, he let me run some of them, and then I started pursuing things that way. And I kept going to smaller live shows to try and get to know the people who put on these shows, so that eventually I could play them. And this was probably where the biggest pivot came that led to this podcast, Sad It's Not Out, I thought, I'm encountering all of these interesting people. Yeah. And because I'm going to these things by myself, I started coming out of my shell in that way and talking to people at these events. And I thought, what if, instead of it being, because that first goal where you're saying when you start out, I've got this perfect idea and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to, of course I'm going to be a rock star. Of course I'm going to be you know, playing oh, yeah. records, Grammys and all that. You're going to have a private jet for your hat. Any day <laughs> now. <laughs> any day. <laughs> and for that. Like, I like where your head's at. That's, that's, what, that's what Bono did, man. That's what Bono did. That's blue sky thinking right yeah. there. But I thought, I had this like, like this notion of a rising tide lifts all boats. Just, yeah. why not kind of share what I'm discovering with whatever platform I can surmise? Absolutely. And like the more the merrier because we're all in the some way a similar boat of we all have these pursuits we're going for and we hope it's good and the more you can try and share with other people the better. And I also feel in this digital age Everyone's trying to bang their own drum and say, look at me, look at me. And that can start to blow into white noise. Yeah. But if you can, as well as trying to bang your own drum, if you can try and say, no, I like all of this stuff and try and help lift others as well, mm. that might be more inclined, might, might make people more inclined to check out what you're doing. Not dissimilar to what you mentioned earlier, Jim, about how you paid attention to the details of your early work so that when you brought it to other people, it came across as something more established yeah. and people would be more inclined to check it out. So that's what led to this podcast i want i want to do like a video series maybe check out people in the rehearsal rooms at live studio and live performances etc hmm. and again i was getting like my ambitions get too lofty and there was a big disconnect between what i wanted to do and what i could do now hmm. so i tried to flip it all on its head and say what's the most diy rough thing rough version i can do of my finished product yeah and that was just going to going to things i already go to talking to people i already talked to but record it on my phone put it on a podcast yeah. and just start from there so you both... Sorry, that was a bit of a... <laughs> that was a long... <laughs> and exhale. All of which <laughs> yeah. leads me to the point. So you both also do podcasts. What made you start them? And what <laughs> are your kind of... Does it tie into your creative venture well, as well? I've got a good a uh, good origin story, Jim, if you want to go first so I can do okay. mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jim. So, um, so, I mean, the podcast came out like... So, yeah, there's there's a... I was working at a place that I wasn't very particularly happy working about in a field that I, I technically still work in, uh, but it's not one that I see myself doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I spent all this time working on my book and my so my my vision of my sort of exit of, of how I'm going to like break through and like Big get time. the career I want was to oh, publish this book and everything will happen. Even though in the back of my mind, I thought like even if you publish a book, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to. <laughs> yeah. um, and even if even if a literary agent accepts your book, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be published in any. It could still be at least a year, and uh, and so. But still, in my mind, I was like, no, finish the book. The book will be amazing, and and yeah, and it'll be. And it's like the the third time I finished it, but it's just like and sent it out to literary agents. Uh, and the the time before, someone asked for the full manuscript, and uh, and so I thought that. Um, 
and it's like, oh well, next time if I just improve the things that he's you know, he mentioned in the feedback, um, then then it must be the next step because mm. it will be good enough. Um, and then this cr- like this l- looming fear of oh god, what if it's rejected again? What will I do with myself? Because I really can't think of a way of how to improve this book. And I ignored that, sent the book out. Day after, it's like I'm not happy with the book. I can think of lots of ways I can improve it, um, <laughs> and and so then like again, like not only was it rejected, most of them didn't reply, which was annoying. But yeah. at, the, at the same point, I was kind of glad because I'm like, actually, no, I want to take this book in a complete other direction. And all, all of a sudden, that fear didn't touch me. But I was sort of realizing that like, okay, I've spent all this time working on this book, and I've been refining my writing, and and I feel that you know I'm 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 getting better, reaching a place where I'm I'm getting fairly confident. Um, and I have nothing to show for it. Like now, I want to, you know, get a new job, but I can't, like I have it would have to be in the same field that I'm working now because I've got no experience that I can show. Mm-hmm. So I was then like thinking, well, how can I continue working on writing, but in a way that is visible, so that like if ever if ever like a sort of a job, even just tangentially more related to the field I want to work in, crops up, I can point at the stuff that I've done. Um, and so that's why I, can, I want, I'll do a web fiction just so like I can at least build a sort of audience and do something that people can see and that I can point to and say, look, look at my writing. This is what I've written. James B. Woodall on Twitter <laughs> and <laughs> Patreon. Check him out. He's great. Piccadilly Detectives. Piccadilly Detectives. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then the podcast was another, like, well, we lived with EJ and, uh, we didn't live with Shay, but we Shay. We lived with EJ. Yeah. And, and they did a podcast. Uh, wigging out, wigging friend out. of the show, wigging yeah. out, big fans, uh, and service I, and weird. Shout I, out to wigging out. I love my children. <laughs> and I got, I got super jealous. Um, and I thought, well, that's something I could do. And me and Nick, we we're always talking about media and stuff. And I think our conversations are interesting. Other people surely will. Um, and so let's just record some of them and put them out there. And then, and then I can at least say, look, I do this podcast. Even if no one listens to it, the fact that I am doing a podcast is still like, look, I this is this is the type of thing I do. Yeah. So it's like. It's kind of bolstering your CV. In, in a way, yeah. But it, 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 Building yes, a personal brand. Yeah, but, yeah. Nice. It's, but like, like just putting myself out there in yeah. general, yeah, it hopefully will lead to something. Um, and that's, yeah, so just tr- just trying to do the same thing I'm already doing, but in a more visible way. Exactly, yeah, that's what I was doing as well. And so... So, um, <laughs> big story, so uh, you know, that's a very salient and good strategy for building a personal <laughs> brand there, Jim. Uh, my podcast, uh-huh. I Heard You Saw, the film review show, allegedly, um, this came about that me and a bunch of... So Pirates of the Caribbean 5 came out. Uh-huh. And me and a couple of friends... Um, Met discreetly, and it was um, we were all just like, "Oh, pff, Pirates of Caribbean! Who cares about Pirates of Caribbean Five? And then me and a couple of my friends met up and just were sort of like, "I would actually like to see this because <laughs> I think pirates are wicked cool, and I really like the original three, but the, the fourth one was let's just pretend. What if it's good? I mean, what if it's good? It's not going to be good. It's not going to be. But what if it's good? Yeah. Here's the plan: we should all get drunk and <laughs> go watch this film. And we were like, "Great, it's a plan." So a bunch of us, um got drunk and went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean 5, which is terrible. Uh. It is a ludicrously bad film. It was so so it was so awful that we marched out of the screen at the end of it, walked into the bar, ordered more drinks, and I um when I'd first moved to London and I was um hadn't got any friends, when friends of mine came to visit, I got into the habit of just recording dumb conversations that we'd have because it was like sort of useful for me you know you know because I was sort of I didn't know anyone in London I was working very long hours so I didn't have time to make any friends it was useful to have those conversations there as kind of like a what was that thing we were talking about and you can listen back and you feel a bit happier than rather just being in a shit flat in like a city that hates you and you're like Um, (laughs) so I got into the habit of like recording conversations every now and then so I got out my phone and we just started laying into Pirates of the Caribbean 5 and it was a good laugh. And yeah. um, someone said, you're as we've just done like the first episode of a podcast. And we were like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>! <laughs> and then it kind of just got rolling. And every so often we go see a film together. Sometimes we drink. I drink sometimes. <laughs> or it depends on the film. Um, had to drink to get through fucking Murder on the Orange Express. Or The Mummy. Oh, God. please check out, like, you know, if you want, like, bad films reviewed very impassionedly, please check out Heard You Saw on SoundCloud. It's like, it's, uh, oh, it's a wild ride. But yeah, it was basically, one of the things I've discovered um, recently, which I was saying to Jim, actually, is that I don't think that there's any real 
artistic quote-unquote merit in the podcast that we've made. <laughs> we sometimes make good points. Mostly it's us just having a laugh, which is quite fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think either of us do all that much promotion. Oh, uh, no. I mean, I, I might tweet about a new episode, but that's it. I mean, he edits his sound. He's very professional. I like, yeah. like, well, I, I was planning not to. I was like, we'll, <laughs> we'll just record for an hour. I like, that's the thing. I wanted it to be like as... as Low um, impact. Yeah. Low, yeah, like the, make them easy to do. So make sure yes. I could keep on doing them. But then after the first episode, like uh, we just like we like all woke up the following day, all of us who had recorded that one about Wonder Woman, and sort of realized, oh, there's there were a few things that we said that might were is fine among like you yes. friendly company, but all of a sudden our words are being projected They're into the void. On the internet. Yeah. Uh, and then so it's like oh, fine, I will do some editing, and so now I, I do at least I will listen through each podcast once. Just to make sure that I know what's in it that, that I'm putting out, and I might clip out some dead air, or if someone says a, a racial slur, we don't say racial slurs. That doesn't happen. Um, well, well, that ethnic group, oh, they know, they know, you know the one. Right, before I have to edit this part. Because you had something similar, whereas when I first started mine, and I encourage anyone that's listening to this that hasn't already listened to episode one, because one, I'm washing dishes in the background. Which ah. you can clearly hear, and two, I'm very, very ill. So you hear, like, it's literally like, sorry, everyone, about that. And like, I tried to put the volume down, the sneezes, but because the nature of podcasts is so intimate, especially on headphones, it's like I'm right there in your ear, just going, every five seconds. So it is a real treat. Truly, it is the saddest night out. I have fond memories of that. <laughs> but again, it was similar to that first open mic that I did, but it's like, no, embrace the worst case scenario and then realise that the world doesn't end there. And again, when I started that, it was just going to be me kind of firing off some thoughts about things. And the biggest thing I wanted to do was put some original music in it because I've got a lot of unfinished stuff, bits and bobs. And when it's just you, it can stay that way forever. But if you want to do something with this, you need to get used to the idea of finishing something and sharing it with others. So that was part of the intention of it being daily as well because I have that much stuff. And what's just going to be me? So, it would, yeah, just like uh, five minutes on your phone, record something, upload it to SoundCloud, and bam, you're there. I started, when I go to gigs, I started talking to people at those events as well, and even things like this. Yeah. So then I'd have to record a separate intro and a separate outro. <laughs> and yes, yeah, slowly but surely, editing's starting to creep in. It was, this was never, it was like homework, and that was never meant to be the plan. <laughs> it was supposed to be like, in, in, in its entirety, about half an hour's worth of work, and that's it done. But now, and also, I'm starting to become slowly aware, because I'm doing. I wouldn't say promotion, promotion, but I do post it on Instagram and use the old hashtags yeah. to try and spread the net a bit. And also, as I talk to more bands and promoters, they are also sharing it. Because I'm talking to people who, at this point, probably haven't been covered that much by others. Yeah. So just to... And they're going to take whatever promotion they can exactly. get. Exactly. Yeah. So now I'm getting... like that. You, you have a viewership. Exactly. Of only, some size. Yeah. And like, uh, the one recent thing I came across was like, hmm, I should probably make... A, I'd normally post it on Instagram and just add Twitter as well. So t- the tweet would be like half a message and then the Instagram link. Yeah. And then I realised, like someone retweeted and I thought, oh, I should probably make a proper post so the people featured in the episode can retweet that and say, hey, I'm in this, check it out. Mm -hmm. So now, like, as well as paying more attention to editing things because now I'm aware people are listening, paying more attention to promotion as well because now I'm aware the people I talk to might want to spread it further as well Mm. to give them way to it. So yeah, it's becoming, it's starting to feel much more like a nine to five type of (laughs) job than it was ever meant to be. But yeah, I understand the notion of just, you start out, I really like the immediacy of the podcast media. It's just like, like you were saying, just have some fun conversation with friends, have them take record, put on SoundCloud and you're there. Damn. And that I'd still want to try and cling to that. But now to record an intro, I'm doing like seven, eight takes of like, no, no, I can't put that. No, no, that's probably <laughs> Whereas my first episode was me coughing and sneezing the whole way through. Let's get back and say, look, no one cares. Just get it out there. But yeah, I do like that kind of, I'm taking more pride in it. And I think at, at this point, in one day, I got 26 listens to an episode. And I was like, I got oh, one in Indonesia. Good, yeah. Hey, check me out. Nice. <laughs> All right, so. International listenership. <laughs> there we go. So, moving on, like, the last thing I'd like to kind of look at is what are your lofty ambitions? And we've touched on throughout this conversation how you might enter into a field with, like, going to smack it out of the park on the first attempt. Yeah. And then life kind of beats you down <laughs> as life is want to do. But are there still some, amb- if, if all goes to plan, hmm. say in like a year, five years, ten years, six months from now, what are the next goals you want to achieve with what you're doing? Well, mine are, I think, 
Jim is, I know Jim has much more of a plan because like, well, as we discussed, he's building a personal brand. He's got a specific set of things that he's looking at marketing. You've got the web series, you've got the book, you've got the mm. short stories, you've got the anthologies. You know, Mans is busy. Mans has a lot going on. Um, for Rich. me, it's always because I come at it from like more the hobbyist kind of angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's if I was to, in an ideal world, like I would like to move back into working in the art sector in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I've been loosely toying with the idea because, you know, I've worked in theatres, I've worked in cinemas, I've worked in publicity. Um, I've worked in like a lot of different areas and like arts and music spaces and stuff like that as well. I'm kind of thinking that um, I want, I might want to try and look in at animation as an industry to try and like get a foot in the door in just to sort of see what I can figure out and f- people I can meet. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's ultimately always going to be like, my main aim is to do the art that gets me through the day, mm-hmm. right? But the thing I, I like more is more that editor's position. If I can, you know, cultivate... My mum has always said, you should charge people for your editing, because it is please good. Please don't, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do your mates rates to yeah. it, you'll be fine. Yeah. But it's, it's like, I, I want to... Uh, if I can get myself into a position where I have a large enough personal platform, a personal brand that I could make enough connections that people would come to me with ideas and I could contribute to those ideas. Mm-hmm. That's more what I'm interested in rather than trying to push any specific set of ideas that are unique to me. Because like, I'm sure my book's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> it's, it'll be, it'll be, you know, it'll be the book I want to write, mm-hmm. but I don't yeah. think it's necessarily going to be marketable or necessarily something that I even want to market it. Like I'm working on these video essays at the moment as well. Um, like, because I've, wouldn't you know, the level of discourse um, surrounding uh, Japanese manga, sometimes not the most high level. Don't You say. know, there's sometimes <laughs> a lack of, like, basic fucking critical thought. <laughs> and, like, I want to try and at least create a space where I can be like, hey, here's how some things may work, and look at this from this angle, and maybe you'll find this interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to try and do that and more get people thinking about art rather than necessarily cultivating my own art to be the thing that they think about if you follow me okay. i want people to be more engaged rather than to be engaged with me okay. i think that's my aim mm. yeah all right Jim, what uh, are so, you? well i mean yes I, I suppose it is true i have more of a plan than that but i wouldn't necessarily you got some irons in the I, fire yeah, yeah. I mean, this, well my goal is i would i, I mean because my relationship to art is different to yours and like i like for me it's still work you know, like mm. it's not my downtime it's yeah, yeah. Uh, and that and so like that's the thing I, I enjoy having written way more than the actual writing um, but I do there's there's lots of things that I would like to do more than I could possibly do in a lifetime like uh, I was like oh can I, I I want to write a whole epic sci-fi series and a whole epic fantasy series I want a whole series of movies and I want to be the showrunner of Doctor Who and I want <laughs> to do all I have like more more I want to do than I could possibly do in a lifetime uh, so my goal is just to get into a position where I can do some of those things, uh, where I where I feel I have the time and the space and the outlet in order to do that. And so my yeah my plan is 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 just to basically try and exploit every single opportunity to that might lead me closer to there. So well, yes, the web my 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 plan for the podcast is nothing like I, it is just for fun yeah. um however i do like i do pay close attention to the details make it at least look a little professional uh, and in my mind um like or maybe someday someone might enjoy going back through this and like listening to to old episodes maybe it's a nice thing to have out there yeah uh, i'll l- listen to the old episodes Jim, <laughs> but only the ones that i was on <laughs> when, but then, i mean that is kind of nice as well that like we have this sort of archive of our friendship yeah, yeah, yeah. same um, thing with the with my podcast as well it's like i like because the discussions are very informal and very just kind of like us making dumb jokes or whatever it's nice to have a record of that and just yeah. feel like yeah yeah, yeah definitely. remember that time uh, fish still <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a bit happen. But uh, yeah, the, but with the web fiction, at least you know, I'm, I am, you know, even though I sort of deliberately decided to do a web fiction, and also deliberately to, to decided to do an LGBT one because you know audiences respond well to that now. Uh, so it is, it is kind of a, a a shallow ploy to get noticed. At the same time, it is something that I. I'm very interested in because it's like I had these ideas for characters ages ago. Just, oh, I'd love to see a story with lead characters like this. Or in a way, I am putting something into the world that I wish was there. I am discovering during my promotion that there is, oh, there is a lot of LGBT crime fiction out there. A lot of it exists. Um, however, and, and also a lot of it that is also historical. But, but mine is very particularly based on 
researching real history and sort of exploring what were their lives actually like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one that I'm uh, I'm about to publish very very soon um, is like literally set in a real place in the German street Hammam, a bathhouse that doesn't exist anymore. Could have just written about a vague one that sort of represents the bathhouse culture in London at the time. <laughs> no, I had to write about a murder that takes place in a real place that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> He's been having a lot of fun going through historical records and just being like, what did they do with their just, clothes? Just, yeah, like, like this account from, from A, from, from, uh, from Trollope, uh, who wrote about the specific hammer, and also this, this account that someone uh, testified to at the London City Council in a hearing. They both referenced that the changing rooms have curtains, but all of these pictures I found are the changing rooms. There are no curtains! Were there curtains or weren't there? Um, yeah, so. so Jim will be slowly driving himself insane in <laughs> uh, pursuit of absolute historical accuracy yeah. with his historical yeah. Well, so, well, so my, my aim with that is that I would like to have a series of stories that maybe I can collect into something and, and hopefully, like, people will read that. But then I'm also, I also, like, every, every the BBC do these, you know, writer's room things and I, everyone, I have submitted a script to that. Uh, so I'm basically, I'm throwing stones out there in mm. the hope that one of them either, well, like, even if it doesn't happen immediately, but one of them might lead to opportunities in the future. Yeah. Um, what about you, Roy? Well, it's funny you should ask. Oh! I, uh, well, I'm very glad that this has... I've started this because I have a really bad habit of having ideas and then pressing play on any of them. Mm. I intend to continue going to as many shows as I can and just casting the net far and wide and talking to people who are trying to pursue something and giving them an additional platform with which to to shout about what it is they're interested in. Mm. And I'd like for this platform, however, what if I can call it that, to grow. So I would still like to turn it into something visual, whether it's video interviews, whether it's live performances, whether it's live, uh, video roundtables, like mm. uh, that YouTube one that I think you kind of got me... Oh, the Grapevine. Grapevine. Grapevine, yes. so goddamn good. It, like that kind of Holy platform. Holy shit, that show. <laughs> so I wouldn't mind doing something like that, as well as... Uh, Did you hear they were in London? Yes, yes, oh, I did. Did you get in touch? You should totally have gone on that show. I haven't heard anything back yet. Damn. So, fingers oh. crossed. But yeah, so... Ashley Akuda, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, yeah, something like that, as well as shining light on uh, all kinds of artists, maybe showing live performances, as far as... Because it did start with music, and that is something of a focus. Mm. The lofty blue sky goal in that regard is to have some sort of alternative version of the Jules Holland, late, later with Jules Holland show. For those that don't know what that is, that was like a musical... It is a musical showcase TV show that is on BBC Two. Mm-hmm. And it is, for the most part, kind of the only one of its kind to shed a light on, like, current music that's happening. But it tends to look heavily at uh, returning legends, like 70s, 80s performers who've got mm-hmm. a new album out, or more world music, and then there'll be the odd one or two new artists who are featured. It's and- kind of like that transliteration of you have... It's like a radio-style show, because yeah. unlike, you know, your radio shows with, like, specific people, you know, who have the connections with the local scene, they'll bring in local bands or whatever and, like, give them a platform. Yes. It's like that, but on with the money and presentation of a BBC Two show. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I'd like to... Good aim. <laughs> <laughs> a lofty aim at that, but, like, there are many different avenues I feel like this could go down. It's very malleable. So I can foresee some sort of struggle of trying to focus on a particular thing I might do and move things forward. Because I get, similar with the open mics, once I started running them, I kind of took my foot off the gas of making my own music and performing at them because I let the running of them kind of take over. So I always want to try and reassess what my focus is and how I'm actually pushing it forward instead of getting comfortable with where I am and just coasting with that for a while. And I've got to say, honestly, talking to people like you who can open the conversation with, I've done this and this and this and this, makes me feel like, okay, one thing I'd love to be able to do a year from now if we have this conversation again yeah. is say, oh, well, I did this and this and this and this. Yeah. Because at the moment, it's just like, I've got all these ideas and I've done some stuff just for me. So this, starting with this podcast is very much an exercise in putting brand Roy out there <laughs> oh, yeah. for everyone to see. And yeah, on that note, thank you very much, guys, for this conversation. And let's round it out with where can people find all of your myth- mythical, magical creations <laughs> that exist on the internet? Well, I've already, I mean, yeah, my web fiction is the PiccadillyDetectives.com, uh, which is the LGBT web-, web fiction about a gay couple in the 1920s and 30s who are uh, investigating and uh, 
like LGBT related crimes whilst also being criminals themselves because you know uh, homosexuality is a, was a crime in in London and England in those times. Uh, I'm also um, my podcast is what a waste of time, uh, and it mostly is. Um, <laughs> and and uh, You're so proud of yourself for that one. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also on Twitter, which is uh, James B. Woodall. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of my stuff ends up on my Twitter or my Tumblr. Twitter is uh, Nick, N-I-K underscore Hasta, H-A-S-T-A, because I'm a dumb internet nerd fighter at heart. Um, I'm also on my Tumblr, which is andthusliberated.tumblr.com. Uh, the podcast is Heard You Saw, which you can get on SoundCloud. I'm pretty certain Heard is spelled H-U-R-D, because it's my last name. <laughs> Pumps. Oh, uh, boy. Um, but yeah, and other stuff, like, that's about it, really. <laughs> I have a defunct DeviantArt that I don't use anymore. Which oh, I won't me link too. To. Um, well, just as a, as a closer, actually, right, I was going to say, um, a thing that the first year I moved to London, which was like six, seven years ago now, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousin, who's a graphic artist, um, he was living down the road from where I was living at the time. And I was talking to him because he'd just been signed on at the time to be um, a artist in residence at a gallery. And that was like the culmination of like quite a few years of work. Wow. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, yeah. you know, you've got like an artist in residence. And, you know, he was like, he said, the main thing that I can say to you, Nick, is keep making work and eventually they will beat a path to your door. And I was like, that's true. Because like you say, if you've got the ideas, but you're not putting them out there, how are they going to know? Yeah. yeah. I also, yeah, there was a, a, a sort of similar approach that I thought of, uh, because I'm better than people Nick can quote. Um, <laughs> you said you're better than my cousin Henry? No, not at all. That was yeah. the joke. He's a, uh, he's a lovely man. I'm sure, I'm sure he is. I'm <laughs> feeling very inadequate, which is why I had to make it. Um, but the way I sort of approach is like, I always feel that um, like in order to get something made or to get some somebody to like option you or what have you is is equal parts skill and luck. Mm. Like you have oh to God, be you yeah. have to be good enough. Yeah. But even if you're good enough, you might not be lucky. But the only and the only way to to like because you can work on skill. The only way to work on luck is to just being persistent. Yeah. Because you're rolling the dice every time, and eventually you're going to roll a natural twenty. Yeah. All right. And on that very. Philosophical note. Thank you very much for your time, guys. No, not at all. Ooh, that was quite the conversation. I was clearly in the presence of professionals when I was recording that. Thank you very much to Nick Hurd and Jim Woodall for joining me for this episode. Uh, I will put in the description for this episode all the different places that you can find their work, and I highly encourage you to check it out because they are both very talented and very good givers of advice. I learned a lot from that conversation and I look forward to talking to them again. Who knows when. As for me, you can find me in the usual places at Saddest Night Out on Twitter and Instagram, saddestnightout at gmail.com if you want to email me. And I do have a Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash saddestnightout. And hello if anyone has found this podcast on Stitcher, which I found out last night. My application was successful, so I am now available on that app as well. Hootie hoo. Anyway, I will see you tomorrow for episode 20 of Saddest Night Out. Thank you for listening and take care. And now, a little bit of music from 2012. A very, very rough demo of a song that might feature on what may or may not become an album at some point. Thanks again for listening and enjoy. Enjoy.